Thank you very much. I have uh, received quite a bit of questions. Quite a few questions about the oligarchy, the first episode, and what I said was going to be a series of uh, uh, discussions about oligarchy. And uh, it's very important when you're talking about American politics that you you break it down and don't get caught up in the shenanigans known as the Democrat and Republican parties. The Democratic and Republican parties are a stage. They are there to, uh, as George Carlin liked to reference many times, they are there to entertain you and think that you have the power of choice, that you can choose between one of these two parties and suddenly things will improve for the American people. Well, that's not been the case since the beginning of our formation. Uh, Thomas Jefferson was probably one of the first uh, framers that came right out and said it. He didn't, he didn't say it publicly. He wrote it in letters to judges and other folks. He was one of the more enlightened ones. Uh, he spent time in Europe. Uh, understanding the laws that basically uh, cause people to flee Europe, uh, Mother England, and come to the United States and uh, then revolt uh, against Mother England and set up our own colonies and uh, then our own country. And um, he would he would profess that you know, if we've, we've got to protect the society that we're getting ready to form, we've got to protect it from the economic wolves, he called them. And um, he, he knew that they would come in and devour the government as soon as it was set up. So he said, you know, we need a strong watchdog. And in order to create a strong watchdog, um, he created a strong freedom of press. Um, he established the press and gave it the authority and the powers to hold the government accountable. Um, the government's job was to hold the private sector accountable. Uh, in society uh, that we were forming. Uh, once again, the government's role in society, one of the roles was to hold the private sector accountable to the people. We the people. Well, um, anyone with a history book can see that from pretty much our inception, when we all, uh, when all the most of the framers, including Jefferson, owned slaves, that uh, workers weren't uh, getting a fair shake. So workers were pretty much protesting since the beginning of time, uh, beginning of our formation, and um, you know we. We used slaves, we used uh, uh, African-Americans, Africans, 
We use Chinese to build the railroads, Africans to clear the lands, uh, specifically in the South where no American worker wanted to do it. It's hard work. And uh, so we bought slaves, plantation owners bought slaves to do it. Our current, our family, our oligarchs here in Muncie, Indiana, the Ball family, owned slaves in um, southern United States, and um, you know that that was that was how they were able to gather uh, and do things on the cheap, and that's why they should be paying the reparations. Anyway. Um, you flash forward, um, so the uprisings in the 30s and the 20s and 30s was basically from the unions going to FDR saying, hey, listen, we're not getting a fair shake over here, and we want uh, an equal part of the deal because the robber barons are getting rich. The newspapers are siding with the robber barons. Uh, they basically own the newspapers. And uh, we're getting the short end of the stick. And we're going on strike and we're gonna shut all this stuff down. All the production in this country is gonna be shut down if we don't get, if you don't meet our demands. Well, FDR, uh, has been claimed to be the the greatest um, socialist in in uh, in our times, uh, but he wasn't a socialist. He was a capitalist, and he was a capitalist who saved capitalism from itself. Um, back in the twenties and thirties, you got to remember that. Um, uh, the labor unions accounted for about 80 to 85 percent of the American workforce. It was part of the collective. Um, it was part of the collective with um, communities. Our society was built in multiple communities and at the foundation of that was the unions, the churches, uh, institutions like that uh, that were um, developing. And that's where people communicated with each other and that's how the word got out. And uh, they stopped reading the newspapers back then, believe it or not. It was called the Gilded Age. Uh, they stopped reading the newspapers just like, I mean, in, today is another Gilded Age. It's almost in a, a straight up uh, a second Gilded Age. The banks are doing what they're doing. They're going off on a tangent and uh, needing bailouts. We're getting ready for another one. Uh, if you think 2008 was bad, just wait. Um, it's coming. So... Flash forward to the 30s and 40s, you had, you know, worldwide war with Germany and, and fascism. We've just experienced Benito 
Mussolini and uh, Hitler. And, uh, you know, Hitler's rise to power was, it's not going to happen here. It's not going to happen here. And it happened. And um, if it wouldn't have been for the United States and Russia, um, things would look a whole lot different today than it did. Um, thanks to the works of Albert Einstein, who was a physicist that brought us the uh, atomic bomb, he uh, came out and wrote in the 1939 Monthly Review, which is a socialist paper. He wrote a column uh, which is now referred to uh, as Einstein's dictum, but it was really a um, uh, just a column, and he broke down what the he analyzed the problem from a scientific s standpoint. He he broke down the problem from uh, being both capitalism and. Uh, communism as a problem and a form of socialism as a solution. He says it's, it's not straight up socialism while, where everybody owns everything. It's more of a um, it's more of a uh, uh, central planning. And he broke it down in the education and the workforce, how the workforce would be better structured. And he broke that all down in 1939. The president at the time, Harry S. Truman, did not invite him to the White House to discuss it. Um, there was a lot of, there was actually a play written in California about the meeting between the never happened, the meeting that never happened right? The meeting that never happened um, in the 30s between Harry Truman and Alfred Einstein. Anyway, Einstein said uh, capitalism was the problem and mainly uh, oligarchy. And here's a paragraph right out of Einstein's why Socialism in the 1941 edition of the Monthly Review. He writes, Private capital tends to become concentrated in few hands, partly because of competition among the capitalists, the oligarchs, and partly because of technological, technological development and the increasing division of labor encourage the formation of larger units of production at the expense of smaller ones. The result of these developments is an oligarchy of private capital, the enormous power of which cannot be effectively checked even by a democratically organized political society. Now remember, this is what exactly what Thomas Jefferson and several of our founders were worried about that the economic wolves, the, the oligarchs, the Plutarchs, the capitalists would gain advantage of society and even take over the government. So they're saying, Einstein saying in 1941, uh-uh, 
it's too late. They've already got control. He said, he goes on to say, this is true since the members of legislative bodies are selected by political parties, largely financed or otherwise influenced by private capitalists who, for all practical purposes, separate the electorate from the legislature. The consequence is that the representatives of the people, the politicians, do not, in fact, sufficiently protect the, protect the interests of the underprivileged sections of the populations. In other words, they're going to side with the people with the money, the capitalists, the oligarchs. He goes on to say, moreover, under existing conditions, private capitalists inevitably control directly or indirectly the main sources of information, press, radio, and education, which means the media and the universities. It is thus extremely difficult, and indeed in most cases quite impossible, for the individual citizen to come to objective conclusions to make intelligent use of his political rights. In other words, uh, the politicians are going to use gerrymandering. They're going to take donations and uh, laws written by lobbyists and lawyers for the oligarchs and uh, run those through. Meanwhile, the media that they own is gonna uh, make the people in society believe that everything is divided up by social and cultural issues. That, you know, that we're all concerned about um, transvestites in the military um, getting sex changes, you know. That is not what every American is concerned about. Every American, if you look at the polls, is concerned about putting food on the table, paying rent, which has gone up astronomically, paying for education, paying for health care, and paying for a car, and trying to do that on a uh, level of income that is the worst that we've experienced since the 60s. So this has been going on since we first started, the battle of control of the White House. Um, Einstein goes on to say, the situation prevailing in an economy based on the private ownership of capital, which is capitalism, is thus characterized by two main principles. First, means of production, capital are privately owned and the owners dispose of them as they see fit. Second, the labor contract is free. Of course, there is no such thing as a pure capitalist society in this sense. In particular, it should be noted that the workers through long and bitter political struggles have succeeded in securing a somewhat improved form of the free labor contract for certain categories of workers, but taken as a whole, the present day economy 
does not differ much from pure capitalism. Okay, slavery is what he's talking about. You know, the people that own everything are going to try their darndest to make stuff as cheap as possible, which means cheap labor, low benefits, low retirement, or no retirement. The cheaper the overhead, the more profits for the oligarchs, and the more money that they can spread out to their friends who they've gathered money from to start their ventures. And a lot of which derive their income from contracts with the government. That's the Republicans famous. Uh, and Democrats do it too. Again, don't point at each party and say, well, they do it and they do. This whataboutism, it doesn't matter. Uh, they both do it. And they both point at each other and they want us to point at each other so that we don't see our commonality instead of our differences. That's what it's really all about. So that was Einstein in the 40s. He goes on to say a lot more good stuff. And let me see. Um, that pretty much went on from... Uh, again, the government never, Truman never called Eisenhower into the Oval Office and said, hey, what are you talking about? You know, help me out. You know, I, I'm, I'm a president of the people and I want to know what you're talking about. Never did it. You know, and 20 years later, we elected Dwight D. Eisenhower because he was a general in the military that kicked some ass in World War II, and we trusted him. I mean, who else could we trust? We trusted a, a general in the military. Well, after he served his time in office, he gave us quite a little speech. So you got to understand, we're, we're talking from Einstein's letter in 1941 to Eisenhower's farewell speech in 1961, that's 20 years. In two decades, Dwight Eisenhower said, we've got a problem. And um, it was only 10 minutes long, and um, Eisenhower, uh, prep the American people for a speech and um, he wrote he wrote these words within it. it says a vital element in keeping the peace is our military establishment our arms must be might ready for instant action so that no potential aggressor may be tempted to risk his own destruction American makers of plowshares should, could, with time, and as required, make swords as well. But now we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. This conjunction of an immense 
military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. We must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. So here is a general, a famous general who, who went on to be our president, who's telling us, that the military-industrial complex, which are nothing more than military contractors, that's just the military oligarchy. Uh, it's just one of many oligarchies that runs our country. Uh, but this is a big one because it's fueled by trillions of dollars off and on balance sheet. And I'll explain that later in other episodes. But um, you've got a government that is funneling money to these entities, to these military, military contractors, which when I worked for them, they were called the Beltway Bandits uh, because of where they were located in Washington, D.C. But they, they may make billions of dollars. We're, you know, we're, we're talking about... Uh, uh, major, major contracts with Boeing and um, all those military shares, Cummings, and um, they've situated themselves very conveniently in most U.S. congressional districts so that nobody, none of the Congress, wants to uh, slash the budget on our uh, military industrial complex because it would cost jobs in their district and they would be considered job killers, which no congressman and the media in their district would just slaughter them and so would their opposition. So nobody does it. So they, they basically bought protection uh, or insurance from both political parties that whatever the, the military wants, the military gets. That's why they're now over 50% of our um, U.S. budget. But um, the military-industrial complex will continue to grow just as Eisenhower predicted until, uh, and, and uh, then a famed journalist, um, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks, who found a way to get around all the security apparatus that's set up to protect the military and the CIA and the FBI, etc. basically protect the oligarchies uh, from being accountable to the American people. That's what Julian Assange was good at. That's why Julian Assange is serving uh, 
sitting in a maximum security prison in, in England without any charges against him other than doing good journalism. That's his only offense. All the other stuff is bullshit. Period. He is in prison because he found a way to allow whistleblowers to uh, take evidence that their conscience was driving them nuts what they were doing. They couldn't take them to their bosses. They couldn't take it to the media because every time they did, they'd, they'd end up uh, getting fired and buried by the media and prosecuted. So they had to find a new way to do it, and Julian Assange came up with a way through encryption. And he went after, he opened the doors to investigate, and within a very short period of time, he busted some of the, the greatest stories, the cables that proved that uh, Iraq and the Afghan wars were all a fraud by George W. Bush. And now we've got videos and we should have known it. We saw it. Most people uh, just went along with our president that they would know what's best for our country. Uh, but obviously they were, it was a sham. And uh, so that is another section. The military industrial complex is another piece of the oligarchy uh, that we, the American people, have to side with and contend with. And what we're doing is, as uh, Julian Assange said, uh, the point isn't to win these wars. The point is perpetual war. In other words, war means profits. And that's exactly what these corporations want. They want more profits. They want more profits to go to them. And then they kick back some of the money to the politicians. And they all get rich. And that's the way... Washington works with the military and you're going to see it the same theme, the same patterns in just about every oligarchy that we break down because it's in every single one of them and um, that's all I've got uh, for now for this show on oligarchy uh, I'm not sure which one we're going to delve into I'll, I'll take some more comments from uh, folks and see where it directs us um, I hear a lot of people talking about healthcare, so maybe we'll dive into the healthcare oligarchy next. And with that, I want to thank everybody for listening, and I hope you have a great day.